Welcome. We're in our third message of this series, so I'm going to try to catch you all up this morning so that what I share with you will make uh, some sense. What we've been doing here for a couple of weeks is going through 1 Peter verse by verse and letting it define for us the good life and what the good life in God is all about. Now, as we get to chapter 3 this morning, of course, it's a continuation of chapter 2, right? And uh, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. When, when the book of First Peter begins, um, Peter establishes for us what we have in new birth. What we have in new birth is this causing us to live hope of resurrection. What we have in new birth in Jesus Christ is a family of God. Amen? Are we not a family of God or what here, right? We have a family of God. We have a friend in Jesus that's, you know, and all that kind of thing. And lastly, we have the activity of God at work in our hearts, with, which is accomplished by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he brings the presence of God and the power of God to, to bear on our lives. Well, having all that, Peter says, he gets to a critical therefore, chapter 1, therefore you ought to live a lifestyle reflective of this. And he talks about a bunch of stuff. Then he gets to a second therefore. He's still talking about because you have all these things, you ought to live your life di- differently in chapter 2. And now as we get to chapter 3, guess what? He's still continuing to explain that therefore your lifestyle should change. And that's what we're going to do this morning is look at how we should have behavior that's reflective of this fundamental change of new birth in Jesus Christ. I call it behavior that blesses this morning. And so let me read to you First Peter Chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that, that's an example of behavior that's been redeemed in marriage. Now he switches to behavior in general. Finally, that's what that word finally means. He's kind of getting to the end of his thought process of the therefore you should have a different lifestyle. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days, this is Peter's way of saying, if you want a good life, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when we hear the word good life, the phrase good life, I should say, 
Oftentimes what comes to mind is something like this. I have a lake place in northern Minnesota. We have a sign up there saying the good life. We often think the good life is lake life. We might think a good life is having all the free time I want to participate in my favorite hobby and do it in a leisurely uh, pace. We may think the good life is financial freedom, right? And, and, and we think if I can just get financially free, then I'm going to, uh, you know, experience the good life. Others of us may think, well, the good life means I'm with family and friends who I dearly love and I'm just spending time with them. Nothing wrong with any of that, but that's not the good life according to First Peter. The good life, according to 1 Peter, is new birth in Jesus Christ and then a lifestyle that's reflective of that change. And today what we got into is behavior that blesses. The good life is realized when we live in such a way that our behavior blesses others. So that's our big thought this morning. The good life that God has for his people is to live in such a way that your behavior blesses others. Just think about what we read. I just read to you. Think about that. It's example after example of behavior that blesses other people. This is what God says leads to good days, or in other words, leads to the good life. Now, I'm not against a great vacation. <laughs> I love to go hiking, and, and in, a, in a couple days, Vicki and I are going to hook up our little camper and go out to Taylor Falls for a couple days and uh, do some hiking out there just north of the Twin Cities. I don't know if you know that area, but uh, Vicki reminded me that after our prom night, we went on a prom together, that, th- that the next day we went to Taylor Falls. I didn't remember that. So, I, sure, I look like a deer in the headlights when she said that to me, which is uh, not real wise on my part. I should remember that kind of stuff, but, you know, there you go, guys. You know, anyway, so you, uh, you, 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 great vacation's not necessarily the good life. What we need to realize, we're designed by God um, for more than a comfortable, easy, fun life. We're designed by God to live on purpose and to experience, uh, you know, being uh, his man or woman, uh, living a life that's in harmony with the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, a life full of godly purpose, a life full of uh, fulfillment in that regard. And Peter says the good life that God uh, extends to us and offers uh, to us is to experience this, this one where, you know what, you have all this new birth stuff that happens. You have this causing you to live hope in Jesus Christ. You, you have this new family you have, you know, um, the Holy Spirit filling you, and then your lifestyle should be reflective of that, and you should have this behavior then that you're actually living now that blesses other folk around you. When you're experiencing all that, that's the good life, according to First Peter. So we're going to look at some examples of behavior that blesses, since that's what Peter does here. He gives us example after example of behavior that blesses. I'm going to talk first on marriage, because he talks a lot on marriage. But then we're going to get to being part of a community that blesses others. He gets more general in, in his behavior that blesses others. So let me begin with marriage. Let me give you some background because this will make a lot more sense if you have some background. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we can read about or you can read about Adam and Eve sinning and then God pronounces some consequences because of their sin. We commonly call that the curse. And specifically in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, God pronounces to Eve and to us in general, uh, there will be some consequences in your marriage relationship. And he said uh, this to her, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So what God is saying is because sin now dominates you and has control over you, your marriage experience will be entirely different. Eve, you're going to desire your husband, and he's going to rule over you. So what's being said here in a general way is under the sin's influence, the wife will try to basically, she'll desire her husband. But what that means in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, that word desire means manipulate and control. All right. So under sin's dominance, the woman will naturally try to manipulate and control her husband, and he will 
under sin's dominance, look at her as property or an object. I, I don't know where you're at and how much you observe in the world, but if you understand this, you begin to understand the world we live in a lot better. Amen? Because we see this kind of behavior all the time. We go, what's going on? Well, that's because so many people are basically living under the dominance of sin, right? There are people under the curse, and so they naturally live out this way. So a while back, we're watching the ESPY Awards. Do you know what the ESPY Awards are? Anybody know what those are? Because first hour, people just kind of looked at me. Okay, these are the awards that ESPN gives out to athletes for doing certain things. And it was hosted this year by uh, Danica Patrick. Do you know who Danica Patrick is, the race car driver? Some of you know, or you might know her as Aaron Rodgers' girlfriend. But, you know, I, you know, I don't know how long that'll last, so I just don't want to even say that. For you. Anyway, during the, the ESPYs, there was this big moment that Danica kind of led called Me Too. Now, I don't know if you're following along, but there's a big Me Too movement happening in our country right now. And the Me Too movement's all about um, being done and eliminating sexual harassment. And I agree with that. It's ridiculous what women have to go through. It's ridiculous. It's definitely a good cause. But I thought it was really ironic because I saw all these high-profile women up there saying, we've had it with sexual harassment, and they showed some clips and some things, you know, and all that. And they're, did, did you, if you watch that, did you see how they were dressed? I thought, well, some of you are dressed appropriately, but when you have a slit that goes up to here, the side of your dress, and your neckline goes down to your belly button, and you're saying, I don't want to be sexually harassed, I go, oh, okay. Do you see the irony in that? I mean, but why, why, would they, why would they do that and yet not want to be sexually harassed? Partly because under sin's dominance, it's just natural to manipulate and control. And sometimes women unintentionally use their sexuality for that. I'm not saying you all do it. So don't, if you don't do it at all, praise God, okay? But I just want you to see things and start being smart on how you look at some of this stuff. Because it's out there way more than we think. And I thought myself, because I have four girls, did none of these girls have a papa? You know, I mean, anyway. It's still a good message, okay, what they're saying? But you see the irony of it all? So we see some of that happening there. Then it's easy to see how men try to control women. I mean, after all, a large portion of the world today, the wives are essentially the property of their husbands. Isn't that sad? Think about it. They're owned by their husbands in a large part of the world. They have no say. They're viewed as property. And then we have the problem of pornography. Now it's a problem for women and men. But what it does in men's case especially is pornography turns women into an object. Right? She's being viewed for just a sexuality purpose. It's nothing more than dehumanizing her and making her an object of my lust. Amen? And that's the essence of, of pornography, and it's a fundamentally wrong thing, and you can kind of see that. But that's kind of lies with the, with the consequences of sin, right? Do you see that God said this is what's going to happen because now sin dominates you. Women will naturally manipulate and control. Men will look at women as property and objects. And we see so much of that going on in the world today. So what Peter does here, he says, if you're in a marriage relationship, you should be doing it entirely differently. Because now, instead of being under sin's dominance, you're under the dominance of the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about marriage that blesses for a few moments. Wives are to win husbands over then to the faith by godly behavior. I'm fond of saying this, real fond of saying this. Jesus does a work in us that's always contrary to our sin nature. Amen? Amen? 
And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, wives, now Jesus is going to do a work in you contrary to what sin tries to do in you. And he says, for you then, you should try to win your husbands over to godliness by your godly behavior. And it shouldn't be about outward adornment. It shouldn't be about hairstyles or gold necklaces. It should be about inner beauty. It should be about what's going on in your heart. It should be about godly concern for him. Instead of being one who wants to maybe manipulate and control, submit instead. And by this godly behavior, you're going to win him over to God if he's not won over already. Amen? By your godly behavior. And then he turns around and says the same thing to, to men. God's going to do a work in you contrary to your sin nature. Whereas you used to view women as property and you used to view them as objects. Stop it. Don't do that. Instead, and this is point number two, husbands are to be considerate of their wives so that nothing hinders their prayers. You know, God's original intention for marriage was that they would value each other and there would be the sweet oneness and intimacy in relationship. So God sees that Adam's alone, tries to bring Adam through a discovery process to discover that you're alone, that you need a helpmate. And so God says, after Adam kind of discovers this, I'm going to make a helper for you. That's a powerful word. It doesn't mean she's going to be his little helper. That's a wrong rendering of that word. It means she's going to come alongside and do life with him. In fact, that word helper is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. Over in Psalm 118, 17, the psalmist says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. He is my helper. I will look at triumph on my enemies. This word helper is not meant as that's a secondary role. Of course we see that in the, in the psalmist's case. It, it means that God comes alongside the psalmist and he's going to grant success to his life. And what God was saying to Adam is, you won't be successful in your life. You won't be fulfilled in your life. You won't have the, the life you desire uh, unless you have Eve there. And now I'm not, some say, what if I'm single? Okay, you, you'll be okay if you're single, okay? You follow what I'm saying? You don't have to get married. That's not what I'm saying. But he, what he's saying here to Adam is she will come alongside you. She'll live life alongside you together. And she will grace you to be more successful than you know how to be successful on your own. Amen? That's what's being said here. It's a powerful image, isn't it? And that's what God intends. And so Peter says, now that you're redeemed, blood-bought people of God, you're no longer under the dominance of sin. You do life differently. And when you do that, your behavior will bless your marriage and it will bless those around your marriage. After Peter talks about marriage, he gets into what I call community that blesses. That's the new normal for followers. And he lists several things that the community of believers is supposed to live out, behavior that's supposed to be part of our doing life together. So I want to talk with you about those. First of all, we're supposed to be like-minded. We're supposed to be like-minded. Um, Romans 12, 16 tells us to live in harmony with each other. And what's meant by that scripture is that we're supposed to live without looking at each other's differences as being the defining point. We're supposed to live in such a way that what defines our unity is Christ in each other, Right? And so we all come from diverse backgrounds. We come from maybe different racial makeups. We come from different economic makeups. Some were raised in the country. Some were raised in the city. Amen, right? And he says those things don't matter. What matters is that you have this commonality, this like-mindedness in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. In, in Philippians 2, 2, the Apostle Paul said, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one of spirit and one of mine. Living in that kind of harmony produces what I call a, a behavior that blesses. Because you just don't see this. You just don't see this anywhere else but in a church that's truly on fire for Jesus Christ and that gets this like-minded thing. Pastor Aaron did a really wonderful job of sharing. Why, why did we want to go to Swift Tell? Because it's like a family reunion, amen? 
It's not, oh, this is so big, I don't like it. No, 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 think that way. It's a riot to get together and, 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 and share something and have this big event and, and, and rejoice in God. We're going we're gonna to have a message on, on that Sunday that's about the greatness of God and how he's done great things in our midst and it's going to kick off our fall series uh, called Intentional Worship. I have the book here that we've written that goes along with that series, Intentional Worship. And, and it's all this, it follows our theme of the, of the year that we want to be very intentional about our walk in God. And so we're going to talk about this idea that we don't just worship on Sunday morning. It's not just singing a song, but boy, I like singing. I love what Pastor Kyle does and praise team does. I love that kind of stuff. But this is just a small little smidgen of worship. Worship is a lifestyle, amen? It's the way we do life. And we're going to talk on that. Now, a lot of the groups are doing this, but some aren't. And if your group's not doing this, I would encourage you to get this book anyway. Go through it with your, your, your friend or your, your you know, doormate or your husband and wife, if you're not going through it in a small group or some coworkers. But grapple and, and, and talk about that. This is written by us, for us, Okay. So it's super applicable, and we want to be intentional worshipers of God. You know why something like this is so important? Because God blesses unity. He blesses the like-minded people. And I realize when we do these events that, that lend opportunity to unity, that's where God pours out his blessing. He said in, 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 you know, in the Old Testament that, that how good it is for brethren to dwell together. It's like the oil that was poured upon Aaron's head and flowed down under his beard, dripped down under his robes. He said, even there, there I pronounce blessing. On them. And so when we get like-minded and we do something in common like this, God just blesses it. Amen? So that's why we do it. And you're all just looking at me like, okay, all right. Anyway, but you get what I'm saying. All right, let's go on to the next behavior that, that blesses. It's being sympathetic. Being sympathetic. I, I think sympathetic is best defined by Romans 12, 15, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In other words, if I'm sympathetic to you, I'm going to pick up on your mood and I'm going to kind of resonate with that. That's being sympathetic. That's being aware of those going around me. I remember when I first entered into full-time ministry and I was at New Hope, I had to do a funeral in the morning and a wedding in the afternoon. And they sang the same song at both of these. The main theme song was the same song in the morning and the, and the evening. And in the morning, they're all crying. They're just so sad at the loss of this loved one that was relatively young. And I remember my heart broke for them. They were just so sad. It was just so sad. So then we get to the afternoon, right? And this young couple, they're getting married, and they're so happy. And I'm going, oh, switch it on, Steve, because you're still crying from this morning. You follow what I'm saying? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's being uh, sympathetic. Um, so I got to experience that firsthand years ago at, at New Hope. Um, as we relate to others, we become the community that blesses as we truly are sympathetic this way, it's, it's, it's a blessing thing. It's tempting at times to point a finger at people and say, you're not very godly. You know what? If they're under the, the dominance of sin, they're not going to be very godly. So what instead, if we had a sympathetic heart and begin to think, but I bet that person is fearful of death. I bet that causes them a lot of anxiety. I, I think that a lot of people are, are just burnt out from life. What if we were sympathetic towards that? What if we're sympathetic towards people who have been abused? So many people in our culture have been abused, right? What if we're just more sympathetic that way? And what if we're sympathetic to the one who's anxious? And what, what if that's the kind of, the, the kind of thing that we, we, we emanate? 
that we're just, we have the sympathetic heart. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mourn with you when you mourn, and I'm not going to judge you. But God has an answer, but I'm not going to judge you. And, and, and then what's really hard is rejoicing with those who rejoice, especially when they're not Christ followers. Sometimes our natural tendency is to think, why are you succeeding and why am I struggling when I follow God and you don't, right? But instead, God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. What, what would that look like if we rejoice with someone who succeeded at something and said, wow, good for you. I'm happy for you. Wouldn't that be behavior that blesses? us? And that's what we're trying to get at here. That's what Peter's getting at. We should be people who live out this behavior that blesses. Now let's go on to love. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 through 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're to have a love towards one another that's family-oriented. So many people have never experienced family love. You realize that? And when we start truly loving each other here as a family and loving ones outside the church like a brother or sister or mother or father, parent or child, they may never have experienced that in their life. And that's behavior that blesses. It not only blesses us, it blesses the community around us. Don't take this for granted. Be a person who loves others like you would love your own family. That's a community that blesses. Let's go on to the uh, behavior of compassion. Striking thing about the Lord Jesus Christ to me is that being God incarnate, God up close, God in the flesh, he was so compassionate. And he shows us the compassion of God. And one of the ways I think that I'm struck by the compassion of Christ is found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 29, where he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul. People are tired. Are you tired? People are tired. They're burnt out. And we're to have compassion for these ones that aren't experiencing any rest. Now listen, I want to tell you something. I want to give you a challenge this morning. Can you say to me, if I were talking to you, yeah, I, I have entered into the rest of Jesus. Because you can't invite other people into a behavior that you're not living out yourself very well. So have you entered into the rest of Jesus? And I'm not talking about a nap. Rest in Jesus is not taking a nap. Sometimes we take a nap when we're overloaded. Anybody ever do that? I got a big exam. I got, I'm just so tired, I need a nap, right? Because that's kind of what happens. Or, you know, I'm stressed out at, at work. I remember at 3 a.m. sometimes I come home, I'm so stressed out, I just need a nap. It's called escaping. And there's nothing wrong with taking a nap, but it's not rest. The rest that God offers to you and I are truly enjoying his fellowship, enjoying the finished work that he's done on the cross for us, enjoying the fact that, that we're a child of God, not because of what we've done, because of the work that Christ has done on the cross for us, entering into that peace uh, that, that God offers for you and not. That's the rest that Jesus invites us into. That's the yoke that he's saying fits you perfectly. When he says his yoke is easy, he's saying, I got something that fits your life perfectly that you really need, and we need to enter into that. Then we need to invite other people into that because we live in a culture that's discontent. A culture that's anxious and hurried. A culture that tries to convince us that whatever we have is not good enough. We need a new product. It's a culture that says, if you're second best, you're a loser. And the only one that's worth anything is a champion, right? Do you notice that? Now, I'm not for giving everybody a ribbon. But, I mean, if you go in the NCAA and you end up being in that Elite Eight, oh my goodness, what an accomplishment, right? If you're a football team and you get to the NFC finals and you lose a heartbreaking loss to the Eagles, you're still a really good football team. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, those, those things, we measure so much 
uh, you know, success is only if I'm on the upper podium of the, uh, of the platform. No, 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 no. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and tired. Are you weary and tired? Enter into his rest today. And people are going to say, why do you have this peace? And then tell them, I've entered into the rest of Jesus. And say, come, you who are weary and burdened. Jesus offers you rest for your soul. That's behavior that blesses. Next is humility. Jesus was humble. Philippians 2.6 says that about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be uh, achieved, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And humility is getting to the point, I think, where you just don't really think about yourself at all. And then you have capacity to think about others. If you're a truly a humble person, just, you're, just, you're more worried about what's going on around you than maybe your own needs of the moment. Isn't that behavior that blesses others? Seriously? If you're really that kind of person, you're going to be a uh, standout in the crowd. Most people don't think that way. This is behavior that blesses. Then Peter gets us to what I call the high end of the new normal of behavior that blesses. This is repay evil and insult with blessing. See, even when people mistreat you, you're willing to repay that with blessing. So when you're wrong, you choose to forgive. When you misuse, you choose to, to move on and, 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 you, and you pray for such ones that God will do things in their life. You don't pray that God gets them. You pray that God do something in the life of this person and, and, and bless them. You begin to pray that way. You know that releases you from bitterness and resentment and it's behavior that blesses others, right? I call this a new high normal for the follower of God. And I tell you what, I fail at it miserably. So I'm not saying I'm a pure God that's figured out. I tell you what, it's about three times a day I go, I don't have this figured out very well. And I feel pretty, uh, pretty bad about that. And then God just keeps working on my spirit, and he'll keep working on your spirit. Um, so we have some things laid out for us, and we have to look at these as goals that need to be achieved. I don't know if you're a goal setter, but you need to look at these behaviors that, that bless, and you need to say, God, I, I want to actually live these out, and maybe set a goal uh, of how to do that. Um, Last Christmas, I got an Apple Watch. Any of you have an Apple Watch? Some of you have it right. I got it to record my workout and keep track of uh, some of my exercise and all that kind of stuff and to help me with that part of my life. And I realized right away that this thing, especially when I start running, always doubles my heart rate. So the first time that happened, I thought I was having a heart attack. But then I go, wait, wouldn't I feel that? Like, wouldn't that? Like, no, the watch just doubled my heart rate. Anyway, a lot of my kids have the same watch or a series of Apple Watch, and we communicate on this. They tell me their goals, uh, they get to see my goals, and there's three basic ways that it kind of monitors your health. One is the, the move ring, it's called, and that's, did you burn so many calories today? And, and the ring kind of fills up, and when it gets to the end, it goes, fire time! It says, good job, Steve, you know, like, whatever, you know, anyway, so you get some little reinforcement. Then there's a, so you have that, that move ring, and then you have the exercise ring, and you have to exercise so many day, minutes a day, and then it fires and then you have the other one is stand where you just stand at least one time an hour for 12 times a day 12 hours which you really should get that if you're just doing life you know but it fires around so when you get all three rings they go ring oh fire on your watch and you feel like momentarily like you're really doing something good anyway my kids I see them and I have one daughter Bree she's my second born my overachiever Bree who I love dearly she's usually done with everything by eight nine in the morning I get up, put my watch on. Bree did this. Bree did this. I said, Bree, you're driving me nuts. 
It's eight o'clock and you're done. I, I, I haven't woke up yet and you're done. And I had to laugh at her. She was sharing the story, I think, with Vicky and who shared it with me. One time at nine o'clock in the morning, her watch said to her, because she hadn't done anything today, what's wrong? Usually you're done by this time of the day. And so it was kind of getting on her for not being done with her three rings by nine o'clock in the morning. I said, that's what happens when you're an overachiever, amen? But listen, you and I are called to set these behaviors that have been listed for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, set them up as goals. Work at them, amen? Do them on purpose. Be compassionate. Be humble. Be like-minded. Start setting those up as goals in your life and see if God doesn't bless you because of that. Because when you, when you purpose to bless others with your behavior, I think God will bless you with the filling of his Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Set them up as goals, all right? Be a little bit... Uh, of an overachiever that way. Then we get to this quote in, 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 uh, in 1 Peter 3 that's really from Psalm 34. Um, it's, it's quoted from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. It's kind of a summary of why, we're, why we would do these behaviors that bless us because it says this in, in, in verse uh, 12 of Psalm 34, which will be sound very familiar to what I read to you from 1 Peter 3. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, Peter began to quote the psalmist. And what that means is, in other words, whoever you, whoever you want's a good life. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. So basically the principle that Peter gets us to here is this. If you want to see good days, live out behavior that blesses. And he's quoting a psalmist to kind of give us some oomph. All right? I want to end here real quickly with two keys, I think, to blessing others. Super important. Two keys to really having these behaviors that bless. One is, in your heart, you have to revere Jesus. That's what Peter says. You've got to revere Jesus in your heart. All this has to come from this, this heart thing that's right. Because if you just try to go out there and do right behaviors, it doesn't work very well. But if you have a heart that's really in love with Jesus Christ then the behaviors become something that you desire and want to do. Uh, last week we did a whole bunch of dedications, if you were here. And one of the things I always tell the couples that are dedicating their children is this. The best gift that you're going to give to that little kid is a great marriage. Amen? That'll bless them like few other things will bless them in their lives. If we want to have behavior that blesses others in our culture, one of the best ways for that to truly take place is for you and I to have a great relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, you're revering him in your heart. And then your behavior flows out of that. And then these things, as noted in, in 1 Peter 3, become something we want to do. And secondly, we have to tell people why we're behaving that way. Um, uh, Peter says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. When you live differently... When you adopt the lifestyle of these kinds of behaviors, eventually people will say, what's up with you? You know what that's called? A divine moment. Tell them. Tell them the reason you have this hope. Tell them that you're a Christ follower. Don't just say, oh, it's nothing. Don't do that. They're genuinely wanting to know, why don't you get angry? Why do you care about people around you? Why are you sympathetic? Why are you one that loves when other people don't love you? Answer them according to what Peter said here. Tell them that you love Jesus Christ. You don't have to get big, long theological explanation to say, I'm a Christ follower and he's changed my life. That's a great answer, amen? 
But answer them for the hope that you have. So be ready to give a reason for your hope in Jesus Christ and don't blow that moment off. As Pastor Aaron said, I'm going to say it once again. The reason that these behaviors matter that we're talking about is because good works, behavior that blesses, promotes goodwill. And goodwill will give us an opportunity to do what? Share the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then we're going to end with song today. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for this day, for this opportunity to talk a little bit more uh, from the book of 1 Peter. And uh, I know, Lord, in my own life, when I look at these behaviors that bless, I have to be honest, I fall way short. In fact, that day doesn't go by when I don't think to myself, well, I didn't do that very well. Or um, I'm crabby when I should be joyful, or I'm self-centered when I should be selfless. Um, when I, uh, I'm not humble when I should be humble. I mean, we can go through the whole list and, and, and acknowledge with transparency before you, God, that we don't do very well. So I want to pray, Lord, that like a person like myself might use an Apple Watch to set some goals an exercise that we would look at these behaviors that have been listed here by uh, the Apostle Peter and we begin to set those as goals in our lives. It's things that we're going to live out, that we're going to work at and that every day we try to live out some of these things and become a people who truly do bless those around us by our behaviors. God, I just can't imagine how different that would make uh, our church and our community if we truly do that. So would you grace us and empower us, fill us, Father, we pray with the person of the Holy Spirit. So that we're not just trying harder, we're just abiding more in you and we want to do these things and they become a natural outflow of a life uh, lived with uh, revering you in our hearts. God, we love you so much. God, would we, maybe we just uh, live a life that's indicative of that, I pray. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,